If you're listening to this podcast, it's because you're interested in Iceland. Or maybe you're planning a trip, and you probably have questions. Lots of questions. Circa's new concierge feature, which is now open in Iceland, will change how you travel. You can connect with us directly through the Circa app, and we'll put you in touch with your very own local concierge in the land of fire and ice to ask any questions you have. No matter when you're traveling, let us help make your trip one to remember. For a limited time only, the Circa Concierge is completely free. So download the Circa app from the iOS store and connect with us. You've got questions, we've got answers. Circa, love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it. Hi everyone, my name's Neil Innes. I'm one of the folks at Circa in charge of all of the amazing travel guides we're launching this summer. And I also host the Circa Guide to Barcelona from this beautiful city on the Mediterranean. We'd like to invite you to download the Circa app for iOS for free. It's out right now in the App Store. Inside the Circa app, you'll find maps and info on all the places we recommend, plus bonus episodes and early access to all of the other guides. Go to circatravel.com or click the link in the notes. Right now, you'll be able to listen to Circa Guide episodes about London, Barcelona, Los Angeles, Rome, and Iceland. And coming soon, Paris, Mexico City, Hawaii, Costa Rica, and more. Once more, that's circatravel.com, spelled C-E-R-C-A travel.com. I'll see you there. Welcome to Circa. In this Surviving Iceland episode, we will be listing a lot of incredible places to visit and some amazing things to do in the often turbulent country called Iceland. We're going to be giving you a lot of information, but don't worry. There will be maps, notes, and info on the places mentioned in these guides in the Circa app. Whether you're in Iceland right now, heading there soon, or would just like to learn all about an adventurous place we truly love, you're in the right place. This is what we do. So just sit back, put your headphones on, and enjoy. Let's go and meet the elements in Iceland. Circa. Love the world you live in, and we'll help you explore it. Icelandic weather can go from good to bad to outright awful in a matter of seconds. For anyone dreaming of visiting, planning for the weather is the first step. The Icelandic word for a low-pressure system is lægð. You're going to hear this word a lot when you're here. These systems define life on the island. Rain, wind, sleet, hail and snow in a variety of configurations, low-pressure systems make Iceland, Iceland. The worst conditions are called avtakaveður, literally, execution weather. Roofs blow off, boats sink in the harbor, and hundreds of cars get stuck. In this episode, I'm going to tell you about what it's like to live with some of the stormiest and most unpredictable weather in the world. Icelanders have been battling the elements for over 1,100 years, and it has shaped the course of the nation 
and the character of the people. My name is Svavar Jonandarsson, a local radio producer and a guide here in Iceland. Some of my earliest memories are of the weather. As a toddler, I slept outside in a pram during the daytime, all year round. This is actually normal in Iceland. The sound of the wind and rain and snow became the soundtrack to falling asleep and waking up. As a child, growing up, I played outside in most types of weather, and the worse it was, the better it felt to return inside for a warm drink. Walking to school on our own often meant leaning into the howling wind. There are seldom snow days for Icelandic kids. If there were, we'd never go to school. Weather plays a big part in how life is lived and how traditions develop. For example, we often leave the Christmas lights on for three months during the darkest and stormiest season. These days, plenty of Icelanders work indoors as the winter storms rage. But for the first Icelanders to set foot on the island, the ultimate foe was the weather. It's a story of hardship and loss, but also of survival and adaptation in one of the harshest climates on Earth. How Iceland became Iceland. The first person to name Iceland, Iceland, was Flóki Vilgerðarson. In the year 868, he sailed from Norway in search of a newly discovered land to the north. He was the first settler to spend the winter here, in a place known as Barðaströnd in the west. And it was, by all accounts, a shock he had not been expecting. He and his men had not taken time to cut grass for winter feed, instead choosing to spend all their time hunting and fishing. Every sheep they brought starved. Before abandoning his plan to settle, Floki climbed a mountain and looked out over fjords in the north. They were covered in floating sea ice, hence Iceland. Despite Floki's experience, Norwegian settlers, yes, you can call them Vikings, began settling Iceland in the late 9th century. Even Floki returned to live out his days on the island. The land had plenty of vegetation, trees, green pastures, and enough to go around. This was important, as there was more and more competition for resources back in Norway. There is evidence, by the way, that Irish monks may have arrived much earlier and taken up residence in man-made caves in the south part of Iceland. Those caves are now open for visitors. Check the notes for info on how to explore these cool archaeological sites. By the early 10th century, about 20,000 settlers had taken up residence in Iceland. Most of the early settlements were congregated in the West Fjords. These days, this area of Iceland is the least populated region of the country with some of the worst winter storms and a higher risk of avalanches. But it also contains some of the richest fishing grounds in the local fjords and off the coast. And this was incredibly valuable to the early settlers. Knowledge of surviving this harsh climate included learning to read the weather, knowing the landscape like the palm of your hand, and inevitably 
accepting the fact that sometimes the weather had you sitting at home, stuck for days on end. Until recently, one of the most challenging aspects of Icelandic weather was navigation. On December 2nd, 1892, a farmer by the name of Jón and his 12-year-old son Josep went out to fetch the sheep grazing near their farm in the north of Iceland. The sky was as dark as lead and the wind started picking up in the afternoon. A heavy layer of snow lay on the ground as they began a short walk towards 120 sheep grazing close by. Without warning, the wind began to roar and the snow blinded them. They turned back towards home, trying to navigate through the driving snow. This was the beginning of a relentless four-day storm. Jón and his son were found the next summer, still buried in deep snow. They had nearly made it home, missing the farm by a small margin. Even when you know your way, it can be virtually impossible to navigate through an Icelandic storm. For most of Iceland's history, navigation has been assisted by cairns. It's a Gaelic term originating from Scotland and refers to a tower of rocks and stones, sometimes as tall as a man. These were built to mark paths and roads and sometimes whole routes. These days, while traveling in Iceland, you're unlikely to need assistance from cairns but you should keep your eye out for them. They are cultural markers, signals from a distant past. The most intact cairns can be found east of Lake Mivat in the northeast part of the country. Anyone heading towards the powerful waterfall Dettifoss will spot them shortly after leaving the colorful geothermal area of Naumaskarth. This 40-kilometer marked route kept travelers from wandering into the inhospitable highlands when visibility was low. At the edge of Myrdalsandur, a big outwash floodplain of volcanic ash in the south, the risk of glacier floods from volcanic eruptions led travelers to pile tiny cairns before crossing. Hundreds of these mini cairns still stand in a place called Löfskálavarða. This should be a pit stop for anyone driving to the popular glacier Vatnajökull. A word of warning, Never build your own cairn in the wilderness. Those are called warts and could, in some cases, lead a hiker astray. There's another navigational tool in Iceland that's a bit more mystical. It's a symbol or a magic rune known as Vauvisir or guidepost. Eight posts, each with a different symbol on the end, emanate from a central point, forming a circle. It is sometimes, wrongly, called a Viking compass, but is in fact from a 19th century book of magic. If you happen to get a tattoo in Iceland, you'll likely be presented with this option. Whoever wears it will not get lost in storms and bad weather, even if the way is not known. This is not a substitute for GPS.
Iceland's seven regions. For a relatively small island, about 39,000 square miles, roughly the size of Virginia, Iceland has wildly different weather regions. Let's give you a little overview. There are seven geographic regions in the country, one of which is uninhabitable. Number one, the West Fjords. We're going to start in the northwest and work clockwise around the country. The West Fjords jut out into the North Atlantic, looking something like a giant lobster claw. This is where some of the first settlers took up residence, and this region is just remote enough to stop most people making the trip, which makes this mountainous area an often overlooked and rewarding place to visit. Summer is easy, but during winter, this region is prone to heavy snowfall, so we suggest flying to Isafjordur to enjoy the great local skiing and northern lights. Check our friends at Visit Westfjords in the notes for winter getaways. Number two, the north. Moving east from the West Fjords, we reach the north of Iceland, an area blessed with the best of both worlds. Summers tend to be drier and sunnier than the south, while the winters are colder, which means more snow. Coupled with the famous mountains of the north, often called the Northern Alps, makes for the best skiing in the country. The closeness to the Arctic Ocean in the north and the highlands in the south does entail some powerful weather meaning bad. But that's part of every territory in Iceland. Three, the east. The east has deep sheltered fjords and the warmest temperatures in summer. While Eirstadir, a bit inland, can sometimes feel like being on holiday in Spain, the small coastal villages can offer a very different type of experience found nowhere else. It's called the East Fjord Fog, like a white wall as it creeps in from the sea. The most amazing part is being able to drive up or walk out of the fog and look down on sun-soaked peaks rising from the cotton candy-like clouds below. Check our links for locations. Number 4. The South the south has extensive grazing lands, glacier rivers, and a long coastline of black volcanic sand, which is ill-suited for launching fishing boats. The weather here is impacted by warm, moist air from the south, gaining areas like Mirtalur, a reputation for rain. But that rain falls as snow in higher elevations and explains why the largest glaciers in Iceland and in Europe are located on the south coast. Luckily for you, the ring road goes right past them, and glacier hiking and ice cave tours mean you can explore the icy realm up close and personal. Number 5. The Reykjanes Peninsula The Reykjanes Peninsula sticks out into the Atlantic, sort of like the boot at the bottom of Italy. The city of Reykjavik sits where the peninsula curves north, up the coast. The land here is volcanically active, has a rocky coast and great fishing, with plenty of wind. It's also where you will find Iceland's best surfing spots, 
and the tough but sweet guides at Arctic Surfers will get you sorted, which includes a wetsuit. Number 6. The West has both good farming land and an abundance of fish in the country's largest bays, Faxafloi and Breidafjörður. Fishing was a blessing and a curse for fishermen on rowboats. The price of bringing food on the table could be their life as storms blew in quickly from the open ocean west of Iceland. Number 7. The Highlands. The central highlands, in the middle, are no man's land of barren deserts and ferocious winter storms. Covering 40,000 square kilometers, it is where Iceland's volcanoes and weather have created an otherworldly landscape. Plans for the largest national park in Europe, 30,000 square kilometers, have been debated for years to connect the already existing parks. This is where you can also find some of the most magnificent landscapes, spectacular hiking, and above all, a silence seldom experienced. The highlands act as a rain shelter, making the north drier than the south. It's also colder and therefore gets more snow in winter. But no matter where you are, every region in Iceland can have bad stormy weather, and every region will have local weather conditions influenced by mountains, elevation, ocean and glaciers. So regardless of where you are and when, packing for weather should always be taken seriously. We'll come back to this a little later in this episode. Icelandic weather reports go back to the 18th century. But the sagas, the novels that chronicle Iceland's history, go back 1100 years. The Mythology of Weather The sagas are the collective memory of the nation. These 40 or so books were written in the 13th and 14th century, mostly by unknown authors. They focus mostly on power struggles, small and large. The landscape and weather is only mentioned if it directly impacts the story. A river is mentioned if it's where a battle took place or a highland route taken to reach the summer's parliament sessions. The names of major and minor landmarks have mostly stayed the same, which creates a strong connection with the past. Weather influenced travel time to and from Iceland. It could also hinder battle, like in the saga of the people of Vatstal, when a fierce winter storm raged at the time of a planned duel. The brothers, Jökull and Þorsteinn, ventured out while their opponents stayed at home. To make sure he was properly humiliated, the brothers put up a wooden scorn, a pole with a curse of runes carved into it, and the head of a horse. Classic move. Sorcery was sometimes blamed for storms, and the weather was often thought to be the work of gods, although these are seldom mentioned in the sagas. In Norse mythology, which predates the settlement of Iceland, the god Freyr controlled the milder weather of summer, 
while Skadi was in control of the stormy weather of winter. Thor, who we all know now, thanks to the Marvel movies, controlled thunder and lightning. Freyr, a favorite of many in Iceland, offered mild summers suitable for sheep farming, while Skadi plunged the nation into what was portrayed as hell on earth. According to Norse mythology, the end of the world is a miserable purgatory of ice called the Ragnarök. It predicts the end of mankind as a frozen takeover by glaciers. As you can imagine, for mankind during the first millennium, ice could be terrifyingly dangerous. If you want a glimpse of Ragnarök for yourself, you can visit the glaciers that cover 10% of Iceland. It's a perfect place to imagine the Ice Age, when glaciers not only covered all of Iceland, but much of the Northern Hemisphere. The best place to see the power of the ice for yourself is Sólheimajökull Glacier, two hours east of Reykjavik. To truly step into geologic history, take a glacier hike with local tour operators. We will have a link in the notes. It's worth keeping in mind that glaciers were once considered a nuisance at best, and a force of destruction at worst. Sheep had to be led over glacier ice to reach certain pastures, and when the climate cooled, glaciers advanced, destroying pastures and farms. Now that we have a sense of the impact weather has on Iceland, let's talk about why Icelandic weather is the way it is. Hi everyone, Circa's recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte how Iceland really became Iceland. Being sat on the edge of the Arctic Circle, in the middle of the North Atlantic Ocean, puts Iceland in the center of a meteorological battleground. Cold Arctic air blows down from the polar region, and warm air rushes up from the south. Cold ocean currents flow from the north, while the Gulf Stream brings warm water all the way from the Gulf of Mexico. These warm waters are the only reason Iceland is habitable. And Iceland is actually warmer than its name suggests. Winters are on average just above and below freezing, and summers hover around 50 degrees Fahrenheit. 65 would be considered the heat wave. Geologically speaking, Iceland is also still quite young. It peaked its volcanic head out of the ocean 40 million years ago. The climate has and continues to change. At first, the island was connected with a land bridge to what is now Europe and North America, and as the land bridge eroded, Iceland became an island 
and was left to fend for itself. The massive volcanic hotspot, deep underground, caused ongoing eruptions, which enabled the island to withstand the constant erosion of the ocean. Since its birth 40 million years ago, temperatures were similar to modern-day Florida. Iceland had huge leafy trees under which prehistoric deer sought shade. Things took a sharp turn 2.6 million years ago with the arrival of an ice age. For hundreds of thousands of years, thousands of feet of ice covered the island and carved out the deep fjords and valleys, digging out giant basins and shifting boulders. It was brutal, lengthy and destructive work. During intermittent warm periods, glaciers retreated for a short time. It's a sobering reminder that however cold Iceland might seem, it is currently enjoying a warm period called the Holocene, which began 10,000 years ago. This meant that glacier lagoons became lakes and green life filled the valleys and the plains. Icelandic settlers in the 9th century inhabited a milder climate than there is today. The glaciers were smaller and the forests bigger. This slightly milder climate reminds us how a small change in temperature can have a massive impact. By the 14th century, the milder climate had cooled again, and this period has become known as the Little Ice Age. Glaciers grew larger and advanced devastating farmlands. The strained relationship between the Icelandic nation and all things ice would only get worse. Sea ice arrived from the ocean east of Greenland. Sea ice limits fishing, delays spring growth and starves livestock. In 1695, sea ice stretched all the way around the country. Sea ice introduced yet another danger. With the arrival of polar bears. Since the first settlers arrived in the 9th century, 500 polar bears are known to have stepped off the sea ice and on land. While folklore portrays polar bears as humans under a spell, humans in real life saw a hungry animal that could run 24 miles per hour and tear a human apart with razor-sharp claws. Encounters always ended in death, mostly of the bears. The Little Ice Age stretched until the late 19th century and it caused a fair bit of misery. Skowar Museum on the south coast, a two-hour drive east of Reykjavik, has artifacts like clothing and old buildings that give a sense of how weather must have affected life in earlier centuries. I suggest stepping inside the tiny turf house and imagining being stuck inside for three days while a snowstorm rages. Fun times. The Seasons and the Storms Today Iceland has four distinct seasons, and each season has marvelous weather. It's just more or less temperamental. Winter can have cold, calm nights with snow that sparkles in the moonlight. In spring, the yellow landscape slowly turns green, and millions of migratory birds arrive from more temperate regions. Pools and parks fill with people. In autumn, the leaves change, and the landscape is a wash of beautiful colors, 
including the striking red of the low blueberry bushes. Stepping out on the first morning of frost, or seeing the first snow on the surrounding mountaintops, is magical. During the winter, one of Iceland's most breathtaking landscapes includes the painted skies of the Northern Lights. The Aurora Borealis, Norðurljósin, is the result of electrically charged particles in the Earth's atmosphere, colliding with particles that have been emitted by the Sun. The Earth's magnetic field, a protective force, directs those particles towards the North and South Poles, where dramatic microscopic collisions create beautiful and huge displays of light. To see them, September the earliest and April the latest, you need a clear night sky, preferably out of the city, and patience. Although there is never a guarantee for the elusive electromagnetic wonder, there are plenty of Northern Lights tours to get you to the best spots at each time. We will include a link to the most important part of predicting them, which is a special forecast. The low-pressure systems kick up towards the end of the Icelandic summer, usually between August and September. The humble weather reporter is more akin to a national security advisor as the first storm of the season is announced. Storms can come with wild swings of temperature, both above and below freezing. These Icelandic storms are unpredictable and quite different from storms in other places, like the hurricanes that Americans know so well. The most powerful low-pressure systems here, remember, called Laith, can reach wind speeds up to 156 miles per hour, mostly whipping around mountains, and not for a sustained length of time. The rest of the storm, however, can cover large parts of the country, can last for days, and can contain wind rushing at speeds of up to 70 to 90 miles per hour. The wind can blow so powerfully It'll snap the doors off your car. Icelanders know to always park facing into the wind for this reason. Tens of thousands of volunteers are on call 24-7 at dozens of local search and rescue groups around the country. It's called Landsbjörg, or the Icelandic Association for Search and Rescue. For decades, this volunteer group has reacted to storms, volcanoes, avalanches, and glacial floods. Their selfless commitment to keeping the country safe can be supported by donations. There are countless dark stories of people who battled Iceland's weather and lost. They can change the way you look at the landscape. In October of 1995, a brutal storm battered the West Fjords. The West Fjords, along with the northern peninsula Trotlaskai and the East Fjords, is where the risk of avalanches is highest. After two days, there was a massive buildup of snow on the steep mountainside above the town of Flateri, a village of just under 400 inhabitants. A few minutes past four in the morning on October 26th, an avalanche shook loose and careened down into the village. 15 million cubic feet of snow hit 19 buildings, 
killing 20 people in their sleep. Earlier that year, an avalanche had fallen on the nearby village of Sulavik, killing 14. These events led to major safety measures being taken in the West Fjords. You'll see them there today. Giant earth mounds above the villages built to divert an avalanche. There are certain areas, like the highlands, that in winter are only accessible to local tour operators with specially equipped cars. But Iceland is a winter destination and has plenty to offer, and the wild weather is part of the experience. The best advice for traveling in winter is to check road conditions and weather forecasts, have a buffer so you can wait out a storm, and finally, ask locals. Compared to earlier times, Icelanders, and you, can largely keep safe from danger, but you'll want to be prepared. So let's talk about how. Packing and prepping. Here, there is no substitute for proper clothing. There's a joke that only people who dress properly for the wild Icelandic weather are tourists. Icelanders might have some thick warm jackets, but we don't usually dress for an extended exposure to the elements. We have been known to sacrifice wise layering for fashion. But the key to dressing for the elements is simple. Stay warm and stay dry. Having said this, Iceland is one of the hardest places on earth to achieve that. The most important thing to remember is that cotton kills. I'm being serious. I've seen tourists showing up for guided glacier hikes in jeans. There's no better way to get hypothermia than having wet cotton next to your skin. Save your Levi's for dinner. Here's what has actually kept Icelanders alive in the coldest, wettest, stormiest conditions. Wool. Woolen underwear, woolen socks, woolen hats and mittens, and the famous Icelandic woolen jumper, available at various downtown Reykjavik stores. Check out the Icelandic Hand Knitting Association. There's a link in the notes. Wool maintains 70% of the body temperature even when wet. Just imagine all those people traversing mountains, wetlands, highlands, rivers and deserts with no compass, no road, no shelter. Just an oncoming storm of wet sleet. And then the temperature drops. Feet get wet, everything gets wet, and the only thing staving away hypothermia is wool. It has enabled survival here for 1100 years, and, in my opinion, has yet to be replaced. Wool can be scratchy though, so I suggest picking up a Norwegian soft wool base layer, such as Janus, and plant a dress for the extremes, warm layers and waterproofs on top. Now, shoes. This is a very important topic because one thing you'll find a lot of in Iceland in winter is ice. In the old days, sheepskin shoes were the norm. If it was icy, you'd put a pair of woolen socks over for better traction, although sharkskin shoes were the ultimate for grip. Today, no one wears either, let alone puts their socks over their shoes. Icelanders learn to walk on ice without breaking their bones too much, and there might be an element of defiance in it as well. We can be quite stubborn, but you try living with weather like this, you'll see, it's a survival trait. 
In any event, there's a solution to this infamous Icelandic predicament that will cost you as little as $20 and save you any broken bones. Buy walking crampons, micro spikes, either before arriving or locally. They will keep you on your feet as opposed to your ass. Just remember to take them off before entering buildings. Also, download the local weather app, simply called Veður, because you'll want to know when there are travel warnings that can affect your travel plans. And check the road conditions. That way, you won't end up getting stuck in the snow. The road service website, road.is, shows which roads have been closed. And if you're caught off guard by worsening weather, you can call 1777 for road info and advice. But here's another thing to keep in mind, just to make your head spin a bit. Don't let the weather app warnings paralyze you. During winter, storms tend to come in unrelenting waves. After all, this place doesn't have a stormy reputation for nothing. Read the alerts and then check the following to get a fuller picture for your travel plans. Go to the meteorological website, uh, weather.is, and check the weather warnings. There you'll find a color-coded warning system with details about travel. Another good practice is to ask at the reception where you're staying if they know of any weather issue. It'll be a very Icelandic activity. Small talk about the weather is what we do here anyway. And we also all research when traveling in winter, so you should too. If you find yourself snowed or stormed in place, it doesn't always mean you can't leave your hotel room. We venture out in bad weather, even if it's just locally, so why not enjoy a day soaking in the local pool or visit a few museums? It could be worse. Or you could always hang out and read one of the many books in Iceland that focus on people's bad weather experiences. One is the book series Utkat, Rescue Call, which recounts major weather events. I remember reading one of these stories at a retirement home where I used to work. The book was about a ferocious storm in the West Fjords in the 60s, when dozens of ships had to shelter in the deep Isafjordur Fjord. One ship sank and a lone survivor, a British fisherman, managed to reach safety against all odds. It was a vivid description of life and death. Among the people listening was a woman who had worked at the local hospital and actually treated the survivor. The memory of the shock in the community, which feared the death of loved ones at sea during storms, was still vivid. All of these people were listening to me read and reliving a memory that the whole nation had shared. Another man listening during those winter afternoon readings, had taken part in a rescue mission in 1950 to save survivors of a plane crash on top of the glacier Vatnajökull. The wide impact of the weather here is a sculpting force on our society. The storms that rage outside our windows are a collective experience. We all share in it. It's perhaps part of what makes Icelanders so determined. We spend our entire lives fighting a kind of war against nature. For the most part, we don't win, but we manage to survive.
Embrace the weather like an Icelander. There used to be a curious inferiority complex back when tourism only lasted three months a year. If you go to the downtown Reykjavik flea market, make sure you check out the stamp and postcard dealer. Aside from some vintage erotica, there are countless postcards from the second half of the 20th century. They're all bright and cheery. It was almost like a nationwide conspiracy to only show Icelandic summer as sunny and idyllic. In the early 2000s, someone figured it was time to embrace the dark secret. Postcards of storms, frozen waterfalls and northern lights are now quite as iconic as the rare summer sunshine. I suggest you embrace it all. Chase the summer sun, marvel at the frozen landscapes of winter. As tricky as the winter can be, Icelanders find a way to celebrate in all seasons. Historically, summer was for farm work that depended on good weather. Every able-bodied person would cut or rake the grass in the fields while it was dry. Today is no different, except it only takes one person on a tractor to do the same as dozens, if not hundreds before. For the rest of us, summer is about sun and warmth, sunbathing in the pool, sitting outside for drinks or going hiking, to name a few options. If you have sun and warmth, you've hit the Icelandic jackpot. Enjoy. This explains the obsession with walls around people's gardens. It's less for privacy than for shelter from the wind, maximizing the power of the summer sun. After the long, dark winter, summer acts as a charging station for our soul and sanity. So long as it's free of long stretches of rain, which can happen, during the first weekend of July and August, it's a tradition to go camping or plan an excursion to a summer house and participate in various outdoor festivals. The Merchants' Festival, which takes place over the first weekend of August, is sort of the culmination of summer. It's a three-day holiday weekend here. Prayers for good weather abound. Outdoor music and fireworks in some places are enjoyed around the country. The most famous Merchants' Weekend Festival is in the Vestman Islands, off the southern coast of Iceland. But many people simply pick their holiday locations according to the forecast. This creates stress among festival organizers and the poor people predicting the weather. Winter brings just as many expectations of the poor weatherman. There's widespread desire for snow at the local ski areas, which in Reykjavik are Blaufjöll and Skálafjöll, both only a 40-minute drive from downtown. In the northern towns of Akureyri, Siglufjörður and Dalvík, there are prime conditions for snow sports. It is one of the most overlooked places by tourists, and you can rent equipment right there. We'll drop you a link in the notes. And there's one night over the long winter where the weather really really matters. If you're lucky enough to be in Iceland to celebrate New Year's, you will understand why. Icelanders spend more money on fireworks per capita than any other country, and the sales fund the search and rescue teams 
for the whole year. In 2020, the population of 360,000 people bought 600 tons of fireworks in one week. That's three and a half pounds per person. Most of these pyrotechnics get lit in the hour leading up to midnight, reaching a maddening crescendo. So, you can imagine the expectations for good weather. The best place to watch the explosive madness is by the Hallgrimskirke church in downtown Reykjavik and on the top of the hill Öskjuhlíð, a 30-minute walk from downtown. On a clear, calm night, the fireworks are a sensory overload. But it also makes Reykjavik the most polluted city in the world. And that's not super cool with some folks. Still, for now, the nation continues to light bonfires and blow up the old year to celebrate the new. But when the weather is good, life is glorious. Go ahead and embrace this attitude. Allow yourself some last-minute planning to account for the good weather as well as the bad. Iceland is a country where the weather is a location in and of itself, with the power to alter the experience of any landscape in a split second. If you do get to experience challenging weather conditions in Iceland, look at it as an opportunity to understand the forces that have impacted life on the island for 1100 years. There is energy in these extremes, It'll make the calm of a starry night feel like the universe is holding its breath for you. One more tip. Unless you want to join the thousands of tourists with only a left-hand glove, be sure to put the right-hand glove in your pocket when you take that shot for Instagram of a waterfall that does not reach the ground because water is getting blown sideways or straight up into the stormy Iceland sky. And always park your car facing the wind. Thanks for listening to our Iceland weather episode. Now that we've enticed you into this subarctic and sometimes stormy universe we call home, remember to check out the other Iceland episodes in this guide for deeper dives, including Iceland's war history, renewable energy, and Iceland's short but surprisingly big art history. Whether you're heading to Iceland right now, sometimes in the near future, or would just like to learn all about a place we truly love, you'll get instant access to the full guide, plus new episodes on a regular basis, when you subscribe to Circa. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or download the Circa app, where you can also get pictures and maps and notes on this episode and more. Maybe you'll want to sample our guides for Barcelona, New York, Hawaii, LA, and many, many more. Circa. Love the world you live in, and we'll help you explore it. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, Goal! 
You can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement of the restrictions apply.